Welcome to issue number 30 of Saka Industry News. As this will be our final issue before the year-end holidays and New Year's, we'd like to take this opportunity to thank all of our readers and subscribers for our wonderful first year. To say this year, in particular the last 10 months or so, has been unusual would be a facetious understatement. But here we are. It would be naive to believe that everything is going to magically get better as soon as the calendar turns over to 2021, but we still remain positive that we'll at least see the beginnings of a return to normal. And with a bit of luck, hope, and most preferably a vaccine, we look forward to a new year when we can get back to brewery visits, tasting events, our favorite sake bars, and of course, sharing sake with those we love. Whatever your plans for the year-end holidays and the new year, we hope your festive season is filled with fun, laughter, joy, and of course, plenty of sake. All the best from Sake Industry News. And now, here is that news. The IWC results are in. In London, the International Wine Challenge, or perhaps better known as IWC, the world's largest wine competition, has announced the winners from its 2020 award season. The 2020 sake competition comprised of nine divisions, table sake, or futsushu, junmai, junmai ginjo, junmai daiginjo, honjozo, ginjo, daiginjo, sparkling, and aged sake. Gold, silver, and bronze medals were awarded along with IWC recommended and one special prize trophy to be chosen from among the gold medal recipients as the champion sake. In total, 1,401 different sake were submitted for assessment, with 88 being awarded gold medals. Heiwa Shuzo from Wakayama, well known for its flagship sake Kid, Heiwa Shuzo from Wakayama, well known for its flagship sake Kid, took home this year's Champion Sake Award for its Maruzan Junmai Ginjo, and in further cause for celebration for Norimasa Yamamoto and his team. The brewery was recognized as Sake Brewery of the Year for the second year in a row. Watanabe Shuzo in Gifu Prefecture received the Best Value Award for its Komachi Zakura Betsugakui Futsushu. The IWC added the Sake Division to its competition in 2007 and is considered to be an important gauge for exporting trends. Check out the full list of winners' results at a link that's provided in the email version of this issue. In spite of all that is happening, and after a postponement, the IWC ran their event this year as well. Usually, I am honored to be a judge at that event, but for obvious reasons, that was just not possible this year. The event this year was run with judges almost exclusively from the UK and under strict conditions. I'm sure it was challenging, and my respect goes out to all that were involved. Next, we go to Kyoto, where power struggle breaks up a legendary Kyoto brewery. The sake world was stunned by an unexpected announcement from Hidehiko Matsumoto, Toji of Matsumoto Shuzo, makers of Sawaya Matsumoto Sake. The rather blunt and direct notice came by Matsumoto's Facebook page on December 1st, where he announced his intention to retire from his family's brewery effective December 31st. While this came as a shock for many, the story behind his resignation was even more curious. According to the Post, just as the first sake of the season was being pressed, the brewery's shareholders called a board meeting. There, the board announced that Hidehiko's father and president of Matsumoto Shuzo, Mr. Yasuhiro Matsumoto, was being removed from his position effective immediately and further removed from his position as director effective December 8. 
Matsumoto Shuzo has been financially supported by shareholders following an arrangement made under a previous generation's jurisdiction. According to Hidehiko's statement, the shareholders have never had any role in the brewing side of the business, which made it all the more concerning when they apparently refused his proposal to allow his father to stay on until the brewing season had finished. Hidehiko felt there was no way in good conscience he could stay on without his father by his side and subsequently submitted his resignation. According to the Post, Matsumoto and his father have not yet planned any future course of action, but for now he is deeply disappointed that he cannot be by the side of his brewing team that has worked so hard to make his family sake. The story has unfolded a little further with some complicated backstories explaining the family affairs of Matsumoto Shuzo. Hidehiko's cousin, Shoji Matsumoto, has been named as the new president of the brewery. Hidehiko's father, Yasuhiro, is the second eldest of four brothers who are part of the family brewery. The new president, Shoji, is the son of the eldest of the four brothers. The third brother of the Matsumoto clan, Shohei, was the one behind the popular Sawaya Matsumoto brand. The story goes that once the nephew Hidehiko came on board as Toji and proved himself more than competent as Toji and leader, Shohei gracefully stepped down from his role in the brewery under the provisio that the integrity of Sawaya Matsumoto was maintained. What has transpired in the company and family is unclear, and perhaps it's none of our business, but both Shoji and Shohei signed their names to a fax that was sent to the brewery's loyal retainers, informing them of the developments, indicating that Shohei is likely in agreement with the new developments. SIN will bring more news on this unusual story as it unfolds. This really is unfortunate and a huge loss for the industry, but in the end, it is a Matsumoto family issue, and it would be inappropriate for any of us to comment any further. Next, we head up north to Hokkaido, where a new brewery opens its doors to the public. Obihiro University of Agriculture has opened its on-campus sake brewery, Heikyungura, to the public for sales and visits. The brewery was conceived by Kamikawa Taisetsu Shuzo and is run under group company Tokachi Ryokyu. Construction of the brewery was completed in April this year and brewing officially began in September. The brewery officially opened its doors to the general public on November 18th, allowing visitors to purchase its brand, Tokachi, directly and see some of the brewing process in action. The brewery is also teaching students about the science of brewing under the tutelage of the Toji, Shinji Kawabata. Hokkaido will be a place to watch for sake brewing over the next few years. With two new breweries and lots of effort being applied to growing Hokkaido-specific sake rice varieties, its significance as a sake-producing region continues to grow. Next, Dasai is back in the news with Dasai's milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. In Tokyo, in a yet another one for the only in Japan category, one of the most unusual collaborations in the sake industry is set to hit the market for the new year. Asahi Shuzo of Dasai fame is teaming up with the hamburger chain Mossburger to create the Dasai Mazeru Shake. But before you start typing out an angry email to Mossburger, taking the task for the socially irresponsible promotion of serving sake milkshakes in a family restaurant, just relax. The shakes will be made using amazake. For the unfamiliar, despite its name, amazake is a non-alcoholic, or in some cases very low-alcoholic, beverage made using water, steamed rice, and koji rice, and sometimes sake kasu, which are sake lees. 
Amazake is a popular drink among all ages in winter when it can be enjoyed warmed. It has been produced for hundreds of years and is often served to infants and is even served as part of school lunches. The Dasai Mazeru Shake will offer customers the chance to mix, or Mazeru in Japanese, Dasai Amazake made with Yamada Nishiki rice milled to 50% into a Mossburger vanilla shake and enjoy the flavor combinations that can be created with different Amazake to vanilla shake ratios. The special shake will only be available from December 26th until early February or when stocks run out. Yamada Nishiki milkshakes, just wild. Yet another very creative solution to using excess sake rice. Remember that rice was ordered and planted before COVID hit, and then the brewers simply could not use it all up. But once planted, if the brewers did not buy it, they would lose the trust of the growers, which bodes not well for the future. Brilliantly creative. Let's hope it contributes to the solution. Our next story, sake decadence reaches new heights. In Kyoto, in 2019, the Toki Sake Association was established under the eye of Tokube Masuda, the maker of Tsukino Katsura, in order to promote and ignite interest in aged premium sake. Now the association is releasing a special eight-bottle set comprised of one bottle of aged sake from each of the seven founding producers, along with one special bottle made as a blend of the seven by renowned sommelier Shinya Tasaki. The eight-bottle set has set a new record for such a product with an eye-watering price tag of 2.02 million yen, or about 19.4 thousand U.S. dollars. For a list of the eight sake in the set, the number of years they've been aged, and the producer, please see the email version of this issue of Sake Industry News. Twenty sets were made available by reservation only. Reservations closed on December 5th, so we apologize to any of our readers who had hoped to get their hands on this Uber premium set. This is genuinely interesting for a myriad of reasons. The producers are all outstanding and have lots of experience in aging their sake. Curiously though, Daruma Masamune, the gifu brewer that basically makes aged sake their entire shtick, is not involved. Also, they are potentially forging a new market for sake, that of very expensive and very rare products. And they have eased their way into it by only making 20 sets this first year with encouraging initial results. I do think that there will be challenges in growing the sector. One, aged sake is significantly different from regular sake and is not as widely enjoyed. Next, a brewer cannot exactly ramp up the production of aged sake. It takes time, obviously. It takes like 10 years to make a 10-year-old sake. Nevertheless, the sake market will benefit from a more expensive sake sector. So let's see how this unfolds over the next few years. Next, in Niigata, a Niigata brewery nails the best match for Yellowtail. Obata Shuzo has taken food and sake matching to a new and scientifically accurate level with its latest release. The brewery used an electronic taste sensor to break down the components that would help them design the best sake possible for matching with yellowtail fish. Winter is the season for tasty yellowtail and Sado Island, where the brewery is located, is considered a hotspot for high-quality fatty yellowtail. The detailed research led to the development of Manotsuru Breeze. Buri is Japanese for yellowtail, so breeze is a play on words of the Japanese buri and the English word please. A bit of a stretch? Maybe. The Junmai Sake went on sale on November 25th and is said to be perfectly designed to draw out the umami of yellowtail. Sake is known to go well with just about any seafood, 
but the taste spectrum of seafood is of course quite varied, as it is also for sake, and as the food matching concept gains more traction, the idea of finding more specific matches for fish and sake is a relatively new concept. As part of the design process, Obato Shuzo first analyzed which sake in its portfolio was the best chemical match with yellowtail, and then tweaked the sake production process further to matching perfection. Manotsuru Brise is described as dry and smooth with a full rice flavor and light acidity and can be enjoyed chilled or warmed to enhance the umami of the yellowtail. In Japan, sake is often said to support food without getting in the way. While that's true about sake, some feel that maybe not enough attention has been applied to precise pairings of sake and food. Projects like this will attract positive attention and publicity to sake and food pairing and hopefully encourage more folks to develop their own pairings with or without cool technology. Next, heading a little bit further north to Yamagata Prefecture, Kojima Sohonten goes full Junmai. Kojima Sohonten, producers of the popular sake Toko, has made the switch to Junmai-only production as of this season. The move means the brewery will no longer produce any Honjozo products and will cease all use of distilled brewer's alcohol in sake production. Brewery president Kenichiro Kojima said that part of the motivation behind the move was as a throwback to the roots of sake brewing. The brewery still has inventory of Aruten sake, or non-Junmai sake, that will be shipped and sold until stocks are depleted, and from there, all sake released will be Junmai only. I myself am not at all anti-added alcohol. I enjoy a lot of Honjozo and a lot of non-Junmai Ginjo sake as well. But more brewers are moving toward all Junmai, many of them sensing that the market is moving in that direction. While I support their efforts, I hope non-Junmai remains a valid and significant part of the sake industry. Next, we stay in the Tohoku region and head over to Iwate Prefecture, where Nambu Bijin has added to its vegan and kosher certifications with new credentials as a certified non-GMO producer in North America. Non-GMO refers to the use of non-genetically modified organisms in production ingredients and processes. In North America, non-GMO food has gained some attention in recent years as more consumers focus on the ingredients in their food and general health. Nambubijin is hoping this will be yet another step to expand their growth in the U.S. market. Of the Nambubijin portfolio, 11 different sake, including their Tokubetsu Junmai, Junmai Ginjo, sugar-free umeshu, and other fruit liqueurs have satisfied the standard of non-GMO project, the organization that determines certification. Nambubijin obtained kosher certification in 2013 and vegan certification in 2019. For sake to obtain non-GMO certification is still relatively unusual. Mr. Kosuke Kuji, the president of Nambubijin, says, The rice used in sake brewing is non-GMO Japanese sake rice. We didn't need to change anything in our brewing methods to qualify for certification, just like our vegan certification. Hopefully, this certification will give us a wider reach with health-conscious consumers in the United States market. Nambubijin exports to 54 countries in Europe, Asia, and Africa, as well as the U.S. As the non-GMO market is growing globally, the brewery plans on applying for certification in other regions as well. Kujisan and Nambubijin continue to have a positive effect in making sake popular to an ever-increasing audience. Expect to see more and more breweries following their lead. Next, new license legislation to come into effect in 2021. 
As reported earlier this year, the Japanese government has made an announcement declaring that a revised liquor tax law that would see brewing licenses approved for new enterprises looking to brew sake for the express purpose of export was being considered. The proposal recently passed the Diet, and the new legislation will come into effect in April 2021. The government is currently using sake as a main product of its Cool Japan strategy promotion of Japanese goods and hopes that the new legislation will help to expand export. Despite the seemingly good news, the local sake industry remains a little confused. Liquor licenses are divided into beer, shochu, and other categories, and each has various production stipulations as part of the license conditions. In the case of seishu, or nihonshu, or sake, a producer must produce a minimum annual production of 60,000 liters, which is the equivalent of 33,000 1.8-liter bottles. Compared to the 6,000 liters required for fruit, liquor, and beer licenses, the sake production requirement is significantly high, which has historically been a big hurdle for anyone looking to start a sake brewery in Japan. This new revision will allow a new brewery to obtain a license without a minimum production requirement on the condition that the brewery produces sake for export purpose only. This deregulation is only for new entrants to the industry. According to the National Tax Agency, this condition is in place to minimize the impact new breweries would have on the domestic sake market. It will be interesting to say the least to see how many new companies that will brew only for export will actually be formed and who will be behind them. I cannot, in all honesty, imagine that there will be very many. I am sure we will report on this again as it unfolds. Our next story continues to unfold in Aichi Prefecture, where Sawada Shuzo figures out their next steps following the blaze. After suffering a freak fire that decimated the brewery's kojibun, Sawada Shuzo are looking at how to make a comeback. The cause of the fire, which broke out on November 27th, is believed to have been a short circuit in the electrical wiring. As reported in our last issue, the Koji room has been completely destroyed while three tanks of Moromi were left unsalvageable. In addition, mid-production batches of Koji were also destroyed and the brewery was left with much soot and ash damage as well as a smoke odor throughout the facility. They are currently assessing sake that was already bottled or in tanks for smoke taint. If the new sake, or Shinshu, is deemed suitable for release, the brewery plans on releasing it but it has no concrete plans yet for a return to brewing. Let's hope that Sawada Shuzo can recover from this. Let's support them in any way we can, if only by drinking more of their sake, hakuro. But they're very small, so it might be hard to find. Nevertheless, other ways to express our support may arise. Next, a terroir museum opens in Hyogo. In Hyogo Prefecture, Honda Shoten has opened a tasting and sake research space in Himeji City near the brewery dedicated to the concept of Hyogo terroir. Best known for its popular Tatsuriki label, the brewery has dabbled in the terroir concept before through its terroir tasting set of Tatsuriki sake, three sake made exactly the same way but using top-grade Yamadanishiki from three of the premium growing regions of Hyogo Prefecture. The Terroir Museum will offer tasting samples that showcase the concept of terroir as well as display terroir research materials. The former president of Honda Shoten, Mr. Takeyoshi Honda, was a firm believer in the influence of soil on rice quality and, in turn, sake characteristics. 
For some 20 years until his death a few years ago, Honda regularly studied and categorized the characteristics of different soils at the Kyoto University's Soil Laboratory. The current president, Mr. Ryusuke Honda, said, Tasting sets that focus on different rice varieties are commonplace, but comparisons between different soil plots are a rare thing. I hope it can be a brewery where people find new ways to enjoy sake. I am very sure that this will be a fascinating place to visit and I look forward to getting down there soon. The Honda family has tons of visual materials and reports analyzing the soil of their part of the country, which is famous for growing the best Imadanishki. I am quite sure that visiting the museum will be a wonderful experience. And industry stirrings in Akita. One of the most anticipated releases for hardcore sake geeks is here, with the 2020 offering from Akita Prefecture's Next Five. Next Five is a group of five breweries from Akita Prefecture that collaborate each year in an effort to make sake for the future. The group combines their collective skills to push the envelope a little and bring sake into a new era with modern flavors, marketing, and panache. The latest release has been named Isfahan and is a Kijoshu. Kijoshu is a unique style of sake where water used in the production process is substituted with actual sake, albeit of lesser quantity. The resulting sake is usually of a dense, sweet nature, ideal as a dessert sake. The sake used instead of water in the project was vintage sake from Aramasa Shuzo that had been aged in oak barrels. This year, the group collaborated with a French patissier, Mr. Pierre Hermet, who created one of his signature Isfahan pound cakes to be sold as a limited release together with the sake. 10,000 sets are available for 13,800 yen, or about 133 U.S. dollars, making this the group's most expensive release to date. For more information on the Akita Next 5 group, please see John Gauntner's story from issue number 21 of Sake Industry News. And our last story, Supply and Demand, the Year Ahead for Sake Rice. The Ministry of Agriculture, Forestry and Fisheries, or MAFF, issues a monthly report on rice. The October report was a report on the demand for sake rice currently and into the next few years. While not bright in its outlook, it did shed light on the state of the rice-growing industry. After the 2019 growing season, there was a surplus of 13 to 15,000 tons of sake rice. This could be attributed to a number of factors, as yields go up and down each year and do not necessarily correspond to predictions. Then, in 2020, demand for sake rice dropped hugely by 24%, or 23,000 tons. This is expected to lead to a huge surplus but the final numbers will not be calculated until January of 2021. Based on all of this, in 2021, sake rice production will need to be curtailed by 27%, or about 26,000 tons, in order to begin to approach a balance between supply and demand. But this does not even take into account the rice that is likely to be left over from the 2020 harvest, and when that is factored in, it will likely be necessary to reduce even further the amount of sake rice that is grown. The report noted that the supply and demand balance for 2020 could not be fully assessed until January once all the rice production numbers have been gathered. This will be included in their February 2021 report. The report emphasized that stable business relations and transactions between rice producers and sake breweries, or rather sake rice purchasers, strictly speaking that could include middlemen and trading houses, would be vital. 
It also emphasized that in order to help rice producers grow the appropriate amounts of rice, contracts, and also multi-year contracts, which are hitherto not common, should be encouraged. Based on the results of a survey that they sent this year to 1,421 breweries, of which 730 responded, asking how much sake rice would be needed in the 2021 brewing season, the number was down to 56,000 tons, or 19%, from 2018 levels. The same survey sent last year, however, which was pre-COVID, indicated that the same amount of rice was expected to be needed in 2021 versus the 2018 season. However, obviously, COVID drastically dropped both domestic and export shipments, and this, in turn, left a lot of rice that went unused and remains in storage. Note that, as reported in a previous issue of Sake Industry News, a lot of research is going into how to best store rice for use in a later brewing season. While the optimum conditions have not been fully ascertained, using one of several methods, which include temperature and humidity levels in controlled storage, will ensure the rice will stay in good condition for brewing. This should, of course, help a bit. While the report did not address this, one challenge may be getting rice producers to grow more sake rice again once things stabilize. It may be appealingly easy for them to stick with table rice rather than switch back to persnickety sake rice. As is the case with just about everything these days, all that can be done now is to patiently wait and see how things unfold. And our role as sake professionals is simple. Drink more sake, promote more sake, sell more sake. And that wraps up issue number 30 of Sake Industry News. Thanks for reading and thanks for listening. We wish everyone a peaceful end to 2020. And we wish everyone a happy, blessed, safe, and healthy 2021. Kampai.